I want to take you back. You may not want to go back there, but I'll take you there anyhow. I want to take you back to your VBS days. You remember those, maybe. Take you back in time so that we can look again or think again about a song. Remember that song that we sang in VBS that, that started like this or ha- had this part in it and went, who did, who did, who did, who did? Remember that, Brad? It was on an eight track. I think, it was, I think that's... <laughs> and, and then after that, we, we sort of, who, who did swallow Jonah, remember? And then after that, we, we would sing in response, a fish did, a fish did, a fish did. Now, for those who are biblically challenged, we said, a a whale did. You'll catch that later, but... Anyhow, we sang this song. Who did, who did, who did, who did, who did swallow Jonah, Jonah, Jonah. And then we answered and said, a fish did, a fish did, a fish did. And so, as we sang that song and enjoyed that song, It was a song that did lead us and and remind us about this incredible historic event that took place in in olden times, recorded in Scripture in the book of Jonah. But there's something about that song that I, I want us to think about this morning. And that is that it didn't actually spotlight the central character in the narrative, in the drama. Yes, yeah, it, it did spotlight the most central human character in, in, in the narrative, in the drama. It spotlighted Jonah. After all, the, the book has his name on it, says Jonah. He's the one that God came to and said, listen, I want you, Jonah, to go and preach this message to the wicked people of Nineveh. And it was Jonah who heard God call him to go preach that message and said pretty much, I don't think so. It was Jonah who tried to run away from God. He tried, he he thought he he might go all the way over to Spain, sail all the way over to Spain, and somehow hide out. So so it's true. Jonah was a big part of the uh, of the story. And the great fish. the great fish was very much an important part of the story. It's the great fish who's there. After Jonah, or during his flee, and he's sailing, and, and God causes this big storm to arise, and, and the sailors become afraid, and they start looking around going, did you do that? Did, who's, whose fault is this storm? To which Jonah says, oh, it's me. It's, <laughs> I'm guilty. And so they throw him overboard, and there's the fish. This fish swallows him, takes Jonah down deep into, we talked about this in preaching team, they didn't like this, his guts of death. I mean, that's what he was there for, was to die. And the the great fish takes him down into the, the depths of the sea, see this great drama surrounding this fish. And there in the midst of the fish is Jonah coming to his senses, offering up this prayer of repentance to God. And then this great fish turns around and spews him, expels him back upon the shore. Jonah and the great fish are 
worthy of sharing a, a, a spotlight moment or two in this drama. But they're not the stars. They're not the stars of the story. Center stage belongs exclusively to the Lord Jehovah. That's who's at the center of all of this. That is who needs to get our attention. That's the one that we really need to be spotlighting when we talk about the story of Jonah. So this morning what I want to do is I want to take us back. And this morning I want to take us to Nineveh. And I want us to go back to Nineveh for the purpose of of shifting. Shifting the spotlight away from a human and away from a fish and put the spotlight where it belongs, right on God. And as we put the spotlight on God, I want us to see a couple of very central attributes about God or or points here that I want us to take away this morning. The first thing is, is that we, when we go to Nineveh this morning, I want us, first of all, to see God's kindness. We'll talk more about that. And I then, secondly, want us to hear his message as he speaks to our, as he speaks to our hearts. So let me, let me set the stage here. As the Assyrian Empire... In the Far East, as it, as it, what we would call modern-day Iraq, as it, as it gained and went to its peak in the 1800s B.C., one of its principal cities that it built, one of its uh, capital cities was Nineveh. And Nineveh was a great city. Nineveh had great architectural beauty there. And Nineveh was positioned in, in, in sort of a crossroad and there on the Tigris River. And they were just right for international trade that took place there. Nineveh even had these great gardens there in the palace that there were aqueducts that fed those gardens. And, and Nineveh had one of the largest libraries in the world at that time. Nineveh was a great city. But when you look at Nineveh, you need to understand that Nineveh has a very ugly underbelly to it. Nineveh has this, even though it has all of this grandeur to it, all of it was built on ruthlessness. It's rooted in the ruthlessness of its people. See, the city was originally founded by Nimrod, who is known for being a great warrior. And it's as if that the city sort of set the pace for everything. And so these people, the Ninevites, would become some of the most ruthless warriors in the world. Whatever at times they lacked in force or in power, sometimes they went against enemies that, were, that outnumbered them. But it didn't matter because, you see, the, the Ninevites carried with them this reputation that, that 
brought out fear and intimidation just as they approached. You see, they had this, this reputation of being incredibly cruel. They were people who were known and had this reputation of taking their captives and putting them on these poles while they were still alive, impaling them and lifting them up. They had a reputation of taking their captives and, 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 and amputating limbs just, just to maim them. They had a, a reputation of mutilating human bodies. They had a reputation of, of, of decapitating people and collecting heads. They had a reputation of doing all kinds of even what we would think unimaginable atrocities. They were evil. They were wicked. In one example, during the days of King Hezekiah, the Assyrian leader, Sennacherib, surrounds and lays siege to the Judean city of Lachish. They eventually take the city, they destroy the city, and they take Jews from that city and they take them on a march. And as they do, they they do all of those evil things to God's people. And as a result, Judah never forgets, never forgets their great cruelty and evil. It's, It's burned within their hearts. And so, because of this great wickedness, because of their ruthlessness, because of their idolatry and their immorality, everything that has gone on century after century here in Nineveh, God decides it's time to carry out judgment. It's at this time that that we understand and we see that God sends his prophet Jonah to preach against them. But as he speaks to Jonah, there's, Jonah has a couple of problems. There's two problems in the heart or in the life of Jonah. The first problem for him is what he knows about God. And the second problem is what he knows about himself. As we go through the lesson this morning, we'll, we'll surface those problems. But I want us to go to Nineveh right now. I want us to start, and you can open your Bibles to Jonah if you want to or follow along this morning. But I want us to go, first of all, so that we can see God's kindness. Remember, this is about God. I want us to go there and see God's kindness. And it seems strange when talking about God's kindness, that that he sends Jonah there to preach this eight-word sermon. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be destroyed. Is that right? Yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be destroyed. Something like that. I can't count. Or It's not a big sermon. It's not a long sermon. But it tended to communicate exactly what's going to happen to, these, to, to this city of evil. But as he commissioned him, it, it becomes clear that Jonah didn't want 
to go and preach that message. And the reason why, first of all, he didn't want to preach that message is that first problem. It's about what he knew about God. He doesn't want to go because he knows God's reputation. It's a reputation that Jonah knows that we don't discover, we don't see until we get to chapter 4 and verse 2. He, he reveals to God, I knew this about you. I've always known your reputation. I knew that you are gracious and, uh, gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and one who relents concerning captivity. I knew that about you, and that's why I didn't want to go and preach that message. But Jonah's not the only one that knows the reputation of God. When we look through Scripture, the reputation of God is, is affirmed over and over and over again. We go to Exodus chapter 34, and there's God with Moses on the mountain, speaking to Moses. And he, and he lets Moses know who he is. And Moses comes to know and appreciate this reality of God. He says, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives Iniquity, transgressions, and sins. Moses knows, and, and he begins to realize this reputation. But not just Moses. Then there's David. As we see David speak in Psalm 86, it says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. And then Nehemiah, the prophet, Communicates the reputation all over again. He says, but you are a God of forgiveness and graciousness and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. You see, over and over again throughout the centuries, throughout the decades, throughout millennia, Jehovah's reputation has been one of unparalleled kindness. Nobody has ever shown the measure and the depths of kindness toward humanity, no one greater than Jehovah. And he proves it. Here in our story, he proves that his reputation is true. He proves that this reputation is true as he shows graciousness. Out of his mercy... He, he, he doesn't give Nineveh what they deserve. He proves his kindness through his compassion. He looks into these people, and with sympathy in his heart, he realizes, spiritually speaking, they don't know their left from their right. He proves his kindness in, order, in that he's been slow of anger for, for years and years and years. The ungodliness and the evil of this people, God has known about this, but he hasn't been some knee-jerk God that just lashed out and destroyed them. But he's been patient because he's been hoping. He's been hoping for repentance. He shows them his kindness. His love 
for them, abundant love. Even though they hate God, and even though they hate His people, God still loves them. Amazing what kind of reputation God has. And then finally, as God intended to reach out with this hand of judgment, when Nineveh repented at the eight-word sermon of Jonah, God pulled back his hand, and he gave them their lives. You see, God's reputation has always been one in which he supported the testimony of Moses and of David and Nehemiah and now even Jonah who said God's kindness, the depths of his kindness are truly, truly unfathomable. What an amazing truth about our great God. Amen. But here's the thing. While it's good, and I'm glad that Scripture has the testimony of all of these stories that show us the kindness of God, the truth is we, we really don't need them. Because there is no one that knows the kindness of God better than we do. We know the kindness of God on a very, very personal level. You see, just like the Ninevites, our story of God's kindness is in Scripture too. We, we read about God's kindness toward the Ninevites, but in the same Scriptures we read about God's kindness towards us, and it's the same type of kindness. Here's our story, just some snippets of our story. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we had done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. There's his reputation. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. There's our story. And again, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Sound familiar? Even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, which, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. You see, we have the same story. We have the same kindness story working within our lives each and every day. In our lives, God has, has amened the testimony throughout history that he is a kind and loving God. You see, through God's kindness, even though we've been sinful, 
He has extended to us his salvation and his love. But here's the amazing thing. That he sent someone to us greater than Jonah. He sent Jesus to us. Not just to tell us to repent, but to actually die for us. So that we might have that salvation and have his forgiveness. Praise God for his great kindness in our lives. As we reflect on that kindness, I, I, I want to mention this. When you look at our banners up here, and, and you see our logo, kindness, strength, and purpose. The reason why kindness, connect to kindness is there is because of this truth. It's there because we want to always remember. And and it's here in our sunset vision because we want the world, as we have, we want the world to connect to the kindness of Jesus, the kindness of God that has come to reality, the kindness of God that we experience in Christ. We want the whole world to connect to that same type of kindness, and we want to be a church that helps people do that. That's why kindness is on our banners. But I want us to go back secondly, and we'll wrap, wrap this up. I want us to go back to Nineveh, not just to see the kindness of God, but I want us to go back to Nineveh this morning to hear his message to our hearts. In chapter 4 of Jonah, we find Jonah, and he is very, very angry. He, He is thinking, and maybe it's already happened, that after his preaching, that God is going to relent. That he's not going to destroy these people, and he's going to show his kindness. And to be honest, he is very angry about that. But his anger is going to get larger. While he's waiting... God causes a plant to grow up and and give him extra shade. One day the plant grows up and it gives him shade. And the next day God destroys or causes that plant to die. And as that plant dies, not only, like I said, is he mad about what God is not going to do to Nineveh. He's mad that God would, even at this point, rob him of this shade. And this is where the message of God comes to Jonah and comes to us. Here's what God says to Jonah in chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. Then God said to Jonah, Do you have any good reason to be angry about the plant? And Jonah said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. Then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight 
and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh? The great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and their left hands. These words that he speaks to Jonah, in them we discover Jonah's second problem. Jonah's first problem is what he knew about God. His second problem is what he knew about himself. And what he knew was is that he had a heart full of deep-seated resentment. Teeth-grinding, foot-stomping resentment towards Nineveh. You see, he was full of zealous nationalism. It was only Judah in his mind and Judah alone. He hated his enemies. And he was full of his own self-centeredness, his own selfish desires. And because of that, he could not show any compassion toward Nineveh, whatever. The bottom line, as you look at this, is that Jonah's heart is completely out of rhythm with the heart of God. That's his problem. Ultimately, his heart is completely out of rhythm with the heartbeat of God himself. And you might ask and wonder, well, what is the heartbeat of God? Well, the Spirit reveals it in 2 Peter chapter. 3 and verse 9, when he says that God is not wishing for any, for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. There's the heartbeat of God. The heartbeat of God is he doesn't want to have to, to, to carry out judgment on anyone, no matter how they were. His heart is beating with repentance. His heart is beating and waiting for people to repent so that he can be kind and forgiving. God's message to Jonah and the one that he wants our hearts to hear this morning is I want your heart to beat in rhythm with mine. That's what God is saying to us in this story. He's saying and looking at us, I want your hearts to beat in rhythm with, with my heart. I want you to want for people what I want for people. You hear that? God's saying to you, I want you to want for people what I want for people. I want you to want them to repent, and I want you, them, to receive my kindness, regardless of how sinful you think they might be, and and regardless of how unworthy you might think they are of that kindness. That's what I want for them. And I want your heart to beat with that same call to repentance and, and hope that they can receive my kindness. You see, understand this, brothers and sisters. When Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel 
to all creation. He meant all creation. When he said go and preach the gospel to, to all creation, whoever repents and is, or who, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved and whoever disbelieves will be condemned. When he sent that message out there, what he was doing is that he was trying to co- create a church, a universal church that was going to be completely free of an us and them heartbeat. A church that was going to be completely free of people that think that the message of God's kindness is for us, good people. And not for those bad people. Are you listening? God created His church, and we as His people today are are on a mission not to create a club that's exclusively for the right kind of people. But we're trying to create a spiritual family who welcomes anyone and everyone to God's grace. Amen? We're, We're trying to create a spiritual family that welcomes anyone and everyone to God's grace and to His compassion and His slowness of anger and His patience and His loving kindness and His relenting heart. That's what we're here to do. The most violent offender locked away in prison is what prison is welcome to God's kindness. The terrorist that hates America is welcome to God's kindness. The person who has been steeped in bitterness and hatred and jealousy is welcome to God's kindness. The person that we think that are, are people with whom we are politically and ideologically and morally opposed to, those same people are the people God is welcoming to his kindness. God welcomes all who would repent and receive his kindness. And we are the messengers of the heartbeat of God. My encouragement to, this, uh, to us this morning. Let's go to Nineveh. Let's go to Nineveh and just be awestruck by the great love and kindness of our God. It's there. We need to drink that in. But one last encouragement to us. Let's go to Nineveh so we can check our hearts. To see if our hearts are beating in rhythm with God. To make sure that we don't have this little Jonah inside of us beating out a rhythm of resentment and rejection and exclusion of people that we just don't think are worthy of the kindness of God. Let's go and make sure that we are not the ones who don't need to repent. Maybe this morning, you're caught 
you're impressed by the kindness of God and you're ready for it in your life. We want you to have it. If you'll believe and repent of your sins, you're welcome. If you'll put him on in baptism, he'll wash you clean. All of that stuff will be gone. And your story will be the story of God's kindness today, tomorrow, and forever. If we can begin that journey for you this morning, do it while we stand and while we sing.